All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 459. Jason Lingren is with me and Dylan Sicoccio returns. Uh, you can just use the search function under full episodes to find all the episodes. He's been on a number of them. These are always interesting. And if I followed the notes that we're going to follow properly, this is basically like saying, here's an alternative idea to the ancient Britain chronology. Uh, and it's interesting for a lot of ideas because that will cross over mythically into just about everything you've heard of um, from Egypt to Thor, as an example. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a beautiful good morning. All right. Welcome, Dylan. Welcome back. Gentlemen, I'm excited to be talking to you two legends. And I'm also excited that you're starting to do more work on your own because, you know, I think people have forgotten that you two are juggernauts of researchers yourselves. And the past two years has kind of thrown that in a turmoil, but, you know, it's always an honor to be talking to you because you have minds that I respect greatly and you approach things, certain subjects greatly without emotionalism. And there's something to be said about that because right now, not a lot of people can do that. And uh, they've sunken minds into the gutter with that Tartaria garbage. And I called that out in July's end with Black Swans. And now I'm going to offer something for those people who are maybe feeling like they were slighted or it's like, oh, what, what now? Well, I've got a bunch of what to do now with my latest book, The Holy Sailors. All right. Well, I actually took a minute here to look you up. Anyone who's interested, here are the episodes Dylan has been with us. And by the way, you got to realize this man is well-read. Uh, Robert Taylor, all the things we've talked about, he's read and so much more. Anyhow, here we go. Starting with the oldest one, episode 270, אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
very briefly, I was. And what's interesting is if you go get an older dictionary, so maybe 50, 1950-ish backwards, maybe the early 50s, uh, they used the big ones like the Oxford or the big Webster's. They used to have ancient languages set into either the front or the back of them. And they always pointed to Phoenicia as one of the oldest and they laid down the Phoenician alphabet. But the problem is in school, um, everyone gets the Fertile Crescent speech, right? <laughs> and, and a big part of that relates to biblical concerns. But uh, you're told, oh, and there were these other people, the Phoenicians, we don't know anything about them, basically. How about you, Jason? I'm trying to remember. I did have some world history courses, but if it was, it wasn't very much because nothing stands out to me. Well, so I suspect the reason for this is because Hebrew, that alphabet, admittedly is taken from the Phoenician letters and anybody can look that up and see it's true. Yet, aside from a few words and sentences, which are likely forgeries anyway, Hebrew has not been demonstrated to be Phoenician or having an affinity to Phoenician. And the reason for that, and this is going to be what some of the, it's going to kind of blend in with what some of the people are saying about ancient Ireland and all that stuff, but I have a different take on it. Phoenician agrees with the Celtic not the Hebrew. So now all these deceivers, right? These people who claim to be Semites along with their lackeys who are sewn at the hip, right? With eternal victim consciousness. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been getting hit so hard on all my platforms about these, like trying to say that like it it ties into what the Tartaria stuff is. Everyone's trying to say that Europeans are like these bloodthirsty people that steal everybody's scriptures and all, you know, you see it now, it's a hot topic. These words like colonizers, right? They call us colonizers, whatever. And then there's this group of black Hebrew Israelites, right? Everybody's stealing their stuff. Everybody's moving in on their temples, blah, 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 blah. And it's not true because if you look at Ethiopian, it shares 500 root words with Hebrew. Hebrew comes from Phoenician and has no affinity with it. And Phoenician is Celtic. And so I'm really going to nail this home because if this stuff is not nipped in the bud and people don't know how to defend themselves, it's going to be easy to make people disempowered and feel like they're guilty of something when really nobody alive right now has anything to do with the past atrocities that have happened on either side. But I wanted to approach this subject uh, because it's a hot topic right now of being Semitic. And that's predicated on being a descendant of Shem, not just speaking a Semitic language. and if you look into the astral theological meaning of the text, you'll learn that there's no such thing as a Semitic language because there was no such thing as Shem, right? He's a portion of the year. The three sons of Noah are the three portions of the year. You can do this with Brahm, Brahma, Shiva, uh, Brahma, Vishnu, destroyer, uh, Shiva. That would be spring, summer, uh, uh, winter. You can do this whether it's the Roman pantheon. You have uh, Pluto as winter or death. You have Neptune as spring, then you have Jupiter as summer. You could do it with the Greek. You'd have Hades as hell or winter. You'd have Poseidon as spring. You'd have Zeus as summer, etc. Because back then, autumn was part of summer. Now, even the most learned in the church, and I'm going to quote an archbishop here to back it up. The most learned in the church will admit the farce that's conceptualized in that word Semitic or Shemetic. And what they don't have to admit that Shem is a personification to do that. But I'm going to revert to Archbishop Richard Trench. And anybody who's read my work knows I love me some Richard Trench. He's in pretty much all of my works. If he knew what I was doing with his work, he'd probably be rolling in his grave. But you can thank Robert Taylor for giving me those keys. 
He said it was Eichhorn who first suggested the calling of a certain group of languages which stand in a marked contradistinction to the Indo-European or Aryan family by the common name of Semitic. A word which should include all these was wanting, and this one was handy and has made its fortune. At the same time, implying, as Semitic does, that these are all languages spoken by races which are descended from Shem, is eminently calculated to mislead. There are non-Semitic races, the Phoenicians, for example, admittedly non-Semitic, even in that construct, which have spoken a Semitic language, and there are Semitic races which have not spoken one. Now, just for people to understand that, Johann Gottfried Eichhorn did his work at the end of the 18th and the beginning of the 19th centuries. So that's how modern the construct of a Semite is. It's not historical. And so returning to the Phoenician, because this is important to the Great Britain research, Betham, he's an author, he's a contemporary of Robert Taylor, he had this to say. It has been said that this language was Hebrew or had a strong affinity to it, but the best Hebraists have tested it without success, for the results have not enlightened the world. The few existing translations through the Hebrew are scarcely vouched by their authors. If the uh, Hebrew and yeah, right, it's crazy. He said if the Hebrew and Phoenician were sister tongues, the affinity would be palpable and universal not confined to a few words or sentences. The Hebrew has been preserved without change, with the greatest care and anxiety, and therefore ought to be found identical, if at all akin to the Phoenician. The Celto-Etrusian has not only an affinity, but its similarity is almost universally applicable to every Phoenician and Etrusian inscription to which it has been applied and is therefore the true key every division of which fits the words and opens the long-hidden treasure to our view. For those who don't know, the Etruscans are Italians. You guys want to jump in? Yeah, well, I mean, you're, there's so much in what you just said, and I can only imagine the backlash because we live in a time where you can't have a conscientious discussion without it descending into the cesspool that is fostered by basically social media forums and comment sections. It seems to me like what you've done here, having done enough episodes with you and read your books, is you grabbed onto the idea that words have meaning and you never let it go. And further than taking that claim, which I think is, you can't unprove it. Words have meaning. It's true. It feels to me like you've almost taken what Robert Taylor did in the Devil's Pulpit 1 and 2, and you launched off the high board uh, to take it further. But when you were talking about the affinity of these post-Semitic languages. I don't even remember what episode it was, Jason. We did one where I think somehow a Japanese high-ranking government Japanese person either went to Israel or the Israel, I think that's the way it was, or the high-ranking Israeli went to Japan, but they realized there was an affinity in the language. And the moment I heard that, I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Japan and you know researching Japan um, in a lot of ways, Japan is like the canary in the coal mine, although we are all that now. But I remember thinking, oh, they have this religious thing where the black cube is on their forehead. And I began to draw all the lines and nobody ever says boo. I mean, that is a scream out loud that there's a relationship here. And actually, I think whoever that guy was, I can't remember his name, said, I didn't realize that our languages were related. 
But when you get up to the reason of why this has happened, you're pointing out, oh, this is this part of the year. This is what Taylor did, by the way. Part of what Taylor did is he showed this. It's not really arguable. The problem is, is that people think because this thing has been said, everything else is off the table. No, man. A word can have so many levels of meaning. A sentence, so many more. But what he did is he did things like, oh, look at these 12 saints from the Catholic Church. Each one of them is a month of a year. And so, Dylan, you just basically did that going back further and older. But why would this be hidden? To me, this is the cleaving from nature. To me, this is taking all the lives in this world and doing that first step that you've got to do to gain control. And that's separate them from the place where there is no lie. And that place is nature. That's what it feels like to me. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but isn't this all really about hiding the fact that nature and the sun and a year and that this place provides everything we need and always has? Isn't that really what's being shuffled here? That's part of it. But it's also to preserve mosaic history, because once you can debunk this ancient universal empire that some of the Tartaria research is interesting. Like I like looking at the old places that they're finding. It's just so the, the, the thesis is not there that you can't back it with the language. That's how I knew it was BS plus Tartaros means hell. But e- easy there, chief. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if we're, we're going to move into a glass <laughs> house. Don't... Overflow with, I can't help it. Yeah. Don't start piling the rocks up by the window. Okay. Go no, ahead. But, oh, so you, well, so what I think they're covering up is this ancient universal empire. And like you said, with all these, interesting particular religious rites the odds when you have like a, a few of these lining up whether it's circumcision whether it's all these weird things you can only have so many of these peculiar priestly rites and religious rites before it's mathematically impossible that they were a descended from the same parent or b introduced by the same source and since you've been you were you lived in japan right crow i did did you ever get to go to the imperial palace and see that megalithic like wall structures that looks like it's built on top of i mean this looks like some of that cyclopean polygonal type of masonry that is seen all over the mediterranean and even the americas and it creates a problem although i didn't i i was mostly on the southernmost islands a matter of fact all of that's that was my whole time was on the southernmost islands but what we saw even there there was an old castle ruin you see this megalithic kind of base walls or where they call castle towns, and it doesn't fit any other portion of Japanese life. In other words, everything we're aware of and that gets talked about, it's like they add that in, but clearly it's like other places in Europe. Uh, Why did all this megalithic building of such precision stop? So I think I see what you're pointing at. I mean, there is places like, this is what I love about this. There's so many people who can bring their archeological and their architecture research. And then what I'm going to show them with the language, they're going to be able to maybe strip away the confines of the way their mind thinks about what they're looking at, because that is the, that is the big grabble is the chronological thing has been shuffled up to preserve the power and authority of the church and all the religious institutions. And I'm going to make a big claim right now. And this is just me. I'm not, this is my claim. So don't shoot anybody else who, uh, you know, comes out with this because I think I can prove it. Latin did not descend from Greek. It's older. Well, they're, I look at it as they're part of the same ancient universal culture. But what I'm going to show you now, I'm going to try to um, prove what I mean by that. And that's another thing that would have historians turning in their graves. So let me jump in because I, I know you're going to be familiar. Robert Taylor, 
called out that, hey, Vatican, where's the first version of the New Testament? And well, we had the first version and it got destroyed in a fire or something, but we have this perfect replica here, we'll show you. And it was written in Greek. What Taylor did is said, poppycock, I can use the language to show you that it had to have been written in Latin first. Do you recall that? I don't recall it, but I do recall him demonstrating uh, through the mistakes made that, see, I, I, when I read him, I had no idea I would be doing this work, mm. right? Like, so like, I, cause I, I think it was Santos Bonacci that put me onto him, but like it was, uh, he was the one that was able to show all the mistakes they've made that prove it's not authentic Greek. Right. Right. He did and it just with, like he did it with the name of Jesus, just so everybody knows. Yeah. This this is just so everybody knows. Devil's pulpit should be read by everybody, just because it's information that everyone should have a shot at. Devil's pulpit one is infinitely better than devil's pulpit two, but they are both equally as valuable, if that makes sense to anyone. By the way, what Dylan's talking about, uh, the Reverend Robert Taylor did with the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you another thing, where you're headed here, I'm interested all day long because I read the worship of Augustus Caesar and he shows you the sacred college and all these other places were just rewriting history. And he even goes and grabs places where they missed it, right? <laughs> all this place, the information has been scrubbed, but look at this document. They must've forgot about it, you know? And that there are those, like there's so many times where they didn't scrub stuff because they didn't even realize they themselves didn't realize right. how damning it is. And right. that's, what's so exciting is like, if you, if language isn't totally destroyed, it's always going to contain its secrets. And that's why I focus on it. Be careful. LOL. OMG. <laughs> if, if language isn't destroyed, someone's having an LOL right now at what you just said. Can you imagine 2000 years? Oh, they're going to come Lord. up with like, LOL is a God. And it's like, you know, it's the universal God. <laughs> I, I was around young people. They were watching a movie where the young people, you know, they're all up in their phones doing everything is online and their whole life is tied up in the senior chat chain. Um, but they would do things like say, LOL, T-Y-X-P-O-2, you know, there'd be like, I don't know, 15 letters. And they knew what it stood for. There is your destruction of language right there. Yep. So one of the things that people said uh, was that Latin had many terms in a more rude, quote unquote, form than the way they appear in Greek. And so they used that, like they said, it indicated that Latin was descended from Greek. However, I suspect they are both from a language less refined, namely the Etrusco-Phoenician. And for those who don't understand Etruscans are Italians. Their former region would be Lazio, Umbria, and Tuscany. Just to be clear, you're talking about what most people call Etruscans, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I say Etruscan because I'm so used to the Latin. and the, We like, just got to lay it down so someone could follow. Yeah, Can, yeah. you have to correct. I just, I don't know. It's like an Italian thing. It's like Etruscan. Like, it's, it's just a weird, like, I don't say Palazzi. I say Palazzi. I just can't help it. It's like a weird thing. But anyway, language. <laughs> yeah. So like one of the things that, so if you, if it, for those who have read my fourth book, I'm talking about how I, I acknowledge that the, the claim is that the Etruscan language is um, basically a corruption of Sanskrit. Then Latin is a corruption of Etruscan and then Italian is a corruption of Latin. However, this really bothered me. I thought about this for a long time and I was like, well, how can Etruscan 
which is Phoenician. If you look up the letters, it's Phoenician. They're like exactly the same. How can that be a corruption of Sanskrit when Sanskrit has been brought to perfection and has way more letters? Like I, I don't, you wouldn't lose all these letters that have been useful, even if it was a corruption. And so there's a lot of stuff that got me going on this kick. So the region prior to them was called the Umbrians. And I suspect this is also related to the North Umbrians in Britain, right? Cumberland, Umbria, all this stuff. And I think if they were like descended from Sanskrit, it must have been some older form of Sanskrit, especially if the Umbrians took their name from Om, the sacred son, right? Umbrian. That could be a possibility. But as far as I can tell, the Etruscan and Phoenician are not descended from Sanskrit, even though they share all that stuff. What I think is, and you know what? I got this from uh, Thomas Burgoyne. He's, this thing he said has stood up to almost all of my research that I've done. And he said that basically what happened is whatever Egypt was, when that collapsed, the cult split and went to Phoenicia, China, and um, like Venice and Spain and all that stuff. And then they centralized up in Europe after, you know, some years, whatever. Gypsies, that, the, the idea that gypsies came from Egypt. Yeah. And I've heard that actually even a lot of the gypsies didn't come from Egypt either. They came from India hmm. and they paint and they painted their bodies because there's laws about like not painting their bodies to stop people from doing anything like the gypsies, whatever. And you see some of these same paintings of the bodies and stuff in like with the pics and all that stuff. So, you know, we think about things based on, you know, mostly what we learned in school and the reading we do on our own, which is becoming almost extinct. Very few people reading. Um, by the way, here's your public service announcement. Go get old books, read them, protect them, hand them down when you're leaving this world. Anyhow, where do we draw the line for what we think the oldest language is? Now, we know Phoenician and that, you know, these old dictionaries, these Colombian concise dictionaries that my father, who was a professor, had. I held on to all of them. Um, and they have this as like, here's here's the root of everything. It was Phoenician. And then we hear about Sanskrit and we think of the Kali Yugas. I was of a mind at one point that Sanskrit must be the most recessed back in time thing we can grasp. Do you think it's true? No. And now that I'm looking at this, the reason I think it's true is because it's like Hebrew. It's brought to a state of perfection and it's it's preserved so well. And I think I don't I think the stuff that all these come from doesn't exist anymore. And the reason where I come from that is what I'm about to tell you related to Egypt or whatever that was, because you have like the Great Pyramids and these incredible megalithic structures that don't have hieroglyphics anywhere on them, except what was put on them. I think the hieroglyphics, you see them in Italy as well. I don't think it's like as old as people think. And I think whatever they were, how can a culture build such massive things in an era where like, like we have no idea how they did that, or if they do, they're, they're keeping that under lock and key. How could they do that without a language? I've been told something. Uh, I have been told in no uncertain terms that the pyramids, it took 100 years to build the pyramids, that it was absolutely not done by slave labor, but I, I'm not going to sidetrack here. But Yeah, well, what do you think, though? Because are they something that did exist in the ancient world, or are they like a Hollywood construct that was maybe done in modern See, this This is the problem. You know, I know there's people, I, the problem with Egypt is you've never heard a true thing about it. That's the problem with Egypt. <laughs> The problem with Egypt is, is they're going to show you this rock pillar 
that has the most insanely accurately carved images and language, we are told, into it like a CNC laser machine cut it. Then in the same breath, they're going to show you this other thing that it looks like someone with Parkinson's did their best to write on the wall. Then they're going to show you this um, color in a tomb, and they're going to tell you this is 4,000 years. It's just, it's all a skit. And so this, all this does is it creates confusion and it denies anyone from having a foundational basis. Now, the way I can't really go into it, but the way that I heard this, I'll accept it for now because of the source. Um, that it took them a hundred years. And that implies that if we had free access and we could go up there, we're not going to find a pile of dirt with rocks piled all over it. That that means there must be, you know, masonry all the way in. But I've seen plenty of people try to show that the South American pyramids are put up and I, I they're too massive. I, I guess I don't accept it with the little that I know about it on the simple premise that if you're going to do a, a put up of something, there's a limited amount of energy you're throwing. When you go down to South America and Central America and you look at the, they are absolutely massive. Even if it was a pile of dirt with rocks put around the outside, the labor there is insane to think about. And by the way, how'd they move them? Yes. And I, so I just spent like months and months reading old accounts and looking into Mexico, they don't know. The, the natives can't account for how they did it. They had no pulley systems. So even they are- Cymatics. Like, I think yeah. it's pretty clear, cymatics. As a matter of fact, I think it's getting to look pretty clear that all those things I filmed being backlit by the moon where there's no clear exhaust engine sound, I think that's also based on a form of cymatics that more directly relates to static electricity. But cymatics- Dylan, from where I'm at, is the only possible answer to all these big questions that allow nonsense like ancient aliens to exist, that are trying to basically inform you you're a stupid monkey, you could never have solved any of these problems. Well, so that's what that's what they're inverting with this. They're, right. They want they only want us to think the human race goes back six thousand years. That's right. That's what I that's what they're, they're covering up that no, 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 this is way older. Well, the Jewish calendar backs that up, right? What is it? Five. 5,770 some odd years right now. I forget exactly where it is. I remember when it hit 5777 because, of course, that stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. Well, so back to the Phoenician or at least the priest classes and their letters. Like, so I, I try to preface this in this book that Phoenician might be a placeholder term too, just like Egypt, you know, because we all know that, like, if those who have read Robert Taylor, Egypt isn't even a real name for it. And it's an astrological term. So Phoenician might be too, right? We all know the Phoenix is the sun. It's very observable. But according to the mystery schools, whatever that was that comes out of Egypt uh, once it collapsed. But here's the interesting thing. Ancient Egypt is only dated to about 3100 BC, which literally syncs up with the same time that the Phoenicians are acclaimed to uh, emerge from the regions of Lebanon and Syria. And so if the cultures and people differ from Egypt and other parts of the Mediterranean, this era might mark the beginning of an empire that included all of them. And it looks like the Etruscan language descended from what Sanskrit was improved upon, not Sanskrit itself, but it could be an earlier form of Sanskrit. I'm willing to concede that, but nobody's shown that. How do you deal with race, though? In that idea, how do you deal with there are people that look very differently 
Um, are you saying that this is so old that the big differentiation came later after this yeah, whole yeah, world yes. colony broke up? People went to Africa. It's sunny. So the pigment in their skin changed in, in Asia for whatever reason, their eyes and their skin tone changed. This is a later development. It was so ancient. Well, I'm not necessarily talking about the race mixing because like, even if you go back, like the, in, the infinity between the Roman system and the Chinese system is incredible. But China is known for being like the celestial empire of China. Of like they like hate foreigners. They don't let people come in. It wasn't until like the British were like showing up with like their warships. Like, you know, we're landing on this port and trading with you and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And you know what they used to call them? You know what their slang was? Their bad word for Chinese no. people? They called them celestials. Oh, really? Yeah. That was <laughs> one of the negative terms, like calling someone a cracker or, you know, just any racial slur. Uh, they called them celestials. I've always found that interesting. That's wild. I didn't know that. And so, yeah, it makes sense, though. Like you're mocking them. The thing about what I'm saying in North Africa and Europe, that's Celtic. This is what I'm This is the controversy. Right. Because what's happened since then is a result of like all the strip slave trade and all that stuff. Right. But when you go back in history, all these languages, they're all coming from this, which is now observably Celtic. And I'm not going to back off that point for anybody, because what they're saying is that it's not Celtic and the white colonizers came and took everything. And this is what I'm reversing. This is the whole point of this. That area was free. The, the weird thing about the area you're pointing at, um, and you have things like the Colbrin Bible and this ancient, almost independent history of the area you're speaking about. But here's the thing. it For some reason, it was outside of Vatican control in you know, parts of history where it shouldn't have been. You ever notice that? Yeah. And there's cultures that like didn't recognize the authority of the Pope and all that. Like the Venetian culture, which is descended from the Phoenician culture, they like couldn't give a shit about the Pope and they were too powerful for them to do anything about it. I, I think about it every time I see a Celtic cross, those intricately carved stone crosses. Um, I always in my mind, it, it's like an area that was held separate and it is old. And by the way, red hair seems to emerge in those vicinities. And you know, the old myths about red hair. Yeah. And that's, the, the thing that's interesting about all this is people are looking at it from the way things look now versus, you know, you got to remember that long time ago, building a road is a big deal. Like it took the Spanish like years just to get like five to 10 miles inland in the Americas, right? Because without the, the ability to clear forests and stuff, like maritime was the thing back then. And um, it's just something to be mindful of. And you got to look at, okay, well, who are the shipbuilding cultures? And you start seeing this stuff like real quick and even Greeks, right? Like Greeks, uh, you know, Athens was a colony of whatever Egypt was. So there's, there, there's, what I'm saying is there is a universal empire, like North Africa might as well have been Europe back then. That's what I'm saying. When you look at like the interconnectedness, and this is proven by all of the Phoenician former colonies everywhere along that, whether it's Morocco, Tunisia, doesn't matter. They're everywhere. And they look like Roman cities, you know, and then there's even stuff going in Great Britain that they say is Roman, but they don't really know much about it. They don't really know anything. And this is what's so exciting about this, because it puts another perspective that might help people find keys, even if it's not wrong, well, like totally correct. Like I admit that this could be somewhat spotty, but the language is not. That's why I focus on the language. 
Well, one of the only other people I've seen uh, early on the internet before we had all the censorship we did, uh, Banachi was one of them. And I had noticed it from having been in the Marine Corps in and around the Navy because I was a Marine. I noticed why is every ship here named Maru? And then I then later <laughs> later I'm on a telescope and I'm all, why is every place up there named Amar or Mare? for the ocean, M-A-R, and I began to realize, and then I began to realize, and I think Bonacci was the first person I ever saw pick it up and run with it, um, M-A-G, these are feminine ideas, mag, magdalene, magnet, um, and this is language, and in really, it's not a non-arguable way, it's going somewhere, now the argument comes in on where you take it, but at the base of it, these things are on the face of it, what they are, but here. Here's an idea that I've been having for a couple of years, and I'll talk about it much. I truly suspect, and I don't think I've ever said this, that we actually didn't go up at all, that we have been falling for further than we can remember, that we were maybe even a bit ethereal at one point and becoming more material and more dense as we ran along. And I don't think it's arguable in what we can see that we have fallen just in the last 100 or 200 years. Look at the, the schooling people got, the number of languages, the just gorgeous stuff that was made, painted, built, carved. We've fallen. And so do you think that's possibly part of what you're talking about? Do you think it's possible? Let's say the Kali Yuga idea is accurate, that we were more ethereal beings at some point, but we were on the downside of the wheel. So we were going to actually descend. Like if you see the monkey becoming the man, reverse that. The man becoming the monkey idea. That doesn't really seem that hard to believe, though. The only thing we're better at now is making objects. <laughs> well, our, our technology is valueless. I've, I've, and I know people are going to argue with me, but when I look at things of value, they have to relate to where I know there is only truth. And that is the natural world. So when I see someone invent crypto, that has no value. Now, when I see someone pick up gold, God made that. Creator made that. That has value. The creation is my measuring stick and the limit of everything I will ever consider. And I don't think there's anything more that I could learn that would skew me from that. So when I look at this supposed high technology, it's not high technology. It's fallen technology. It's completely ignoring the fact that we have a creation that has provided everything we have ever needed. And by the way, any computer or anything else that was ever made, guess where they got the stuff to make it? And I don't know if you agree with me, Dylan. Do you think, I mean, Jay, I know Jason agrees with me. Could we have been more ethereal and been falling into denser, more material reality all this time? You're literally dragging me kicking and screaming because this is the type of stuff that I do not want to admit or even consider that it's a possibility, but here's the deal. Very few people have looked far back into things the way I have. And every single frustration that we have with people today, you can read the exact same counts as far back as you can see of people having the same frustrations with the pappy-minded masses back then. And it, it begs the question, is there just something in our biological framework that most of the race is just going to be little more than like just really just an animal that has become self-aware versus somebody who actually wants to do good and contribute something of value to people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that to be true, what you just said, but everything I'm telling, like I've looked at tells me it is true. So now the next layer is, can we get back to that? Is this descent 
reversible. Of course it is. But wait a minute, wait a minute, Dylan. If you're willing to think about what I've laid down, which I can tell that you are, to me, it proves the Kali Yuga idea. To me, it proves the long cycle idea. In other words, really, if you look at the world and you're, t- it's, you know what it's like? It's like a California fire. Oh my God, California's on fire. Everything's being destroyed. The destruction is immeasurable. Well, if you own a house and it got burned, that's true. You are mightily bummed out in a big way. If you don't have a house, then what just happened is what would have happened eventually. Anyhow, nature's going to cycle. If you come mm-hmm. back to that burn to a crisp place, and I grew up in Southern California, exactly three months after it is burned to a crisp, if there has been any rain, you will see a renewal like you have never seen. And that's the example that I will set. But it feels to me like we hit the bottom. And we have been falling from a more, whatever it would be, a more ethereal, that's the only way I can describe it, less 3D gross material beings. Now we've hit the bottom and we're starting to go up. It's just that the powers that be, they're trying to hijack the train. But think about like some of the things that Buddhism taught us. Like there used to, I used to love reading Buddhism just because of the logical factuality that they're trying to leverage on. They're trying to say, look, we've actually proved these things. Go ahead, try to poke a hole in it because we did it. And so we accept there's value in these ideas now. Think of the things they used to say, like you can tell how fortunate a city is by how much art is in it. The first time I read that, I stopped dead in my tracks and I started thinking. And then I realized I know places there's no art. And then I remember going down to Mexico where they didn't have near as much money as where I came from. But there was art everywhere and there was a richness, a cultural value that can't be described. And now think about all the gorgeous buildings and monolithic structures, which we haven't built in Lord knows how long. So those are the things I would offer you to kind of bolster the idea that we're falling. Possibly we've hit the bottom of the wheel with the Kali Yuga. What would that put us in? Iron or something on the Kali Yuga ideas. Now we're going to start going, or I forget, I think it's iron. So we'd be going up to a more valuable metal if that's true. Whatever it is, just like you said, while California could be burning, somewhere else is paradise. And so it's important to not even worry about what the world's doing, because I think that's what's unique about this place is there's so many locations. You're never going to be able to see all of them. So you've really got to focus on your own sphere of influence in your own communities. And you can live in paradise and create that for yourself regardless, you know, regardless of what other people are doing. Obviously, you have to be able to protect it because at some point they're going to aggress on it. But, you know, that's a different conversation. But yeah, I think I, I don't think we're bad. I, I, if there's one thing anybody knows about me, I, my book, Get Mad or Get Realistic, I started off with don't accept your fate. If I'm doesn't, I don't care if destiny is real, don't accept it. You got to do what you feel like your purpose is, what God made you to do and go and go hard because tomorrow's not promised. There's another bullet point I'm looking at here. And the moment I read it, I was like, you know, there's places in the world that when I think about them, I know there's something special. Switzerland is one of those places. What the hell, man? Those guys are in the Arctic freaking circle. You know how bad the winters are in Switzerland? Oh, I'm I'm about to get busy right there. It's what Caesar found. That's what I'm going to say, because I'm noticing here that you draw a line that maybe the Greek language has been found in the Swiss plateaus. Does anyone disagree with me that some of the masters of the universe are in Switzerland right now? I think that's a given. Well, why? Why are they there? Switzerland's one of these special places in the world. 
but go ahead. So the Greek language on the Swiss plateau, what the hell are you talking about, Dylan? So this is what I'm saying. It's challenging to put these cultures in chronological order because they're so interlinked and they're so pervasive that much of what the status quo teaches doesn't adhere to the common sense inquiries. And going back to what you were just talking about, if the Greeks at first only inhabited the sea coasts of Europe, there must be significant time allowed for them to penetrate far into the inland country. This is before like road, like this is like, there's no like highway to go from wherever they're going, whether it's in the, you know, East coast of the Mediterranean or whether it's Narbonne, France, or whether it's straight up from Britain and coming over like as the Druids, who the hell knows how they got there, but there's got to be a significant time allowed for that, a people that are literal navigators only whose business was not to even settle any considerable colonies when they arrived, but just to keep like little trading posts, right? That was like their purpose for business and commerce. But in Caesar's days, now here we, I'm like the one who's like, I don't know who's, you know, historical or not, but let's just assume at least with Julius Caesar, there's books, there's records of what he allegedly wrote of his accounts there that we can go on. And it does seem to add up. So I'll accept he, for the time being, I'll accept that he's a real person, but he might not be. So don't get crazy if you're in the audience, just don't get hung up on it. But he, the Greeks in his days were at the very heart of Gaul, settled in their customs, language, and religions, which demonstrates they had been in those Western seas long before. And what I would ask, is it possible that a nation coming from so far away and arriving at Britain and the seacoast of Gaul could, without conquest, this is the big deal, without conquest, fix themselves, their customs and religions, like inside of like a century or a hundred years, right? Gaul being modern day France, right? Yeah. And, and just like all over that area, all around Switzerland, like, right. yeah. yeah. And even Gaul, I don't even know what to say about that because being a, a Gaulish or, or Galatian is predicated on being descended from Gomer, which is like a grandson of Noah, which we know that's a friggin' put up. So even that is a construct, but just it's a placeholder term. That's what I'm going to call it because people, you know, it triggers a memory. But I think we need to say a thing to say things a put up and say it's a construct to me is to imply what you have been told about this is maybe not correct and sometimes easy to rip apart. But the reason that that exists, there still can be deeper meaning. This is what Reverend Robert Taylor did, right? He said, mm-hmm. look, all the stuff you've been told about this, it's poppycock, but there's still it's still informing you of an older time when everybody knew the most valuable thing we had was the creation, right? Yeah. The sky clock and the creation, everything, everything always goes back to knowing something about that. And we know very little about it right now, just to make the point. Yeah. And so to uh, piggyback off of that, so I suspect this is the reason for like all that astrotheological garbage and the chronological things that debunk the narratives, namely uh, mosaic history that you see like in the first three centuries of Rome's history. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff is nonsense. And I'm going to keep harping on this because that this is the keystone of the disgusting system and inversion that infests literally every aspects of our lives and deprives us of truth and accurate information, which goes back to what you were saying about us falling. Well, how can we stop falling if we don't get better information and make better decisions based on accurate information? I think that's what it is. It's the lies. So I don't think it's us falling. I think it's the lies that are making us take the action or engage in behavior that doesn't benefit us 
and serves to that degradation. Bad information in, bad information out. Exactly. It's a very basic tenet. And what they have basically done is taught us to believe in things that we exist in places that are misdescribed, meaning every thing we ever say is based in a place of error. Um, the idea that you just put forth about the mosaic. Kind, the, the problem is, is this is what drives me crazy. There are things encoded about the human body and how to get the sacred Christos up to the crown. That's not nonsense in my eyes. And that is also embedded in these tales, in these stories. So it's, you know, I asked the question once, do you think Robert, I'll ask you, do you think Robert Taylor lost his faith with everything that happened? Do you think he lost his faith and all that? No, I pray that he didn't. I think he just debunked the lies. And he was aggressive about it. And I can relate to that because when you're dealing with people who are so, the lack of humility that I see with people being unable to say that they're wrong or admit that they're wrong is incredible. Like I've never seen so people so proud of being wrong in my life as they are today. Welcome to the internet, false technology. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't exist. This, this, it might've existed pre-internet, but there wasn't the platform to exacerbate it pre-internet. Well, that's the thing about the Reverend Robert Taylor. For a while, I started to suspect that he had lost his faith. and That made me sad. But then I began to realize that what he actually did was he staked his life, his livelihood, his freedom on showing the truth that he had found. He was in a unique position to have written The Devil's Pulpit. For those who haven't read it, the reason it's called The Devil's Pulpit is because some big bishop and, and these other people said, don't you dare go to the roundhouse and listen to this preacher preach from The Devil's Pulpit. So Robert Taylor took that slur that they put on him and he called it The Devil's Pulpit. And the reason he did it is because he could show that being called the devil didn't mean what you thought it meant in the first place. You're basically talking about wintertime. And, and so this was the astrological truth of what had been embedded in there. And not only did he know it, he could prove it because he had in one hand, one of the highest ranking Masonic books ever written, supposedly. Uh, one of them went to the king, a duke, and some dude named Carlisle, I think. Um, and he got the other one. This man spoke, I think, Dylan, three, four languages at least. He was a surgeon. He was a brilliant orator, and the Vatican had trained him up to something close to PhD level, I think. Yeah, and that's a life of service. You're talking right. about a life of service, so I don't think a person like that is bad. So what he did is, is he refused to back down, and he said, I will tell you folks the truth. Come to the round room. Come to the scary devil's pulpit, and I'll show you the truth. And the problem becomes is that, again, if you only look at what the Reverend Robert Taylor show, which I accept is true all day, I think it's provably true. This man was also an astro mistakes, astronomer. Though. Well, he does. But he'll yeah. tell you that the, the moment of a rising star as an example. And he has made some mistakes. But overall, he's also got tools like we don't have. What about the ammonian radicals and the information he had to have had that we don't easily have access to anymore? Yeah. Things like this. Point is is there was also other meanings tied in those tales that he was showing went back to the creation that was showing why everything is tied to a year, basically, at its most basic. Oh, Crow, there's even like a, a big, this is another big hubbub because now everyone is, wants to say, well, Jesus preached for three years. And it's like, well, if you go back further, that was a big contention in the early church because there's a whole enclave of Christians that didn't accept he was ever crucified and he was 
a babe for babes, an infant for infants, a youth for youths, and an elder for elders. And so that was a big thing. And so some of the bishops back then were like, no, you're using the sun symbolism to do the acceptable year of the Lord. So even then, there was always this contention. Like it's, it's, everything that the church has done has always been atheological, not historical. Let me point out something that we should all consider. Yeah, man, they lied, they misdirected, they've done all these things, but they knew the truth. The only place you're going to find truth in this place, whatever you think it is, is nature, the creation, presumably made by the creator. So what they did is they took that truth as the foundation for what they wanted to be powerful, for what they wanted to be meaningful, because the only place you can get gold the most valuable thing is from the creation. So they took these foundational stories and where does it come from? The sun rises every moment at the exact moment it needs to, it always will. There's your foundation. And so, yes, all these tales were tied to that, but to throw the baby out with the bathwater is the challenge in our time because people have been trained. Oh, that, that was a lie. So I'm going to light a fire now and burn it all up. And forget about it. You know, that's the majority of Satanists that, because a lot of my friends in Hollywood and stuff, they were Satanists. Right. That's what they've done. And guess what? Most, I, I would say 95% of them come from a, an extremely rigid Christian or Jewish household. Which they basically invert. Yeah. And so they were like, if that is what you consider good, I want to do the exact opposite of that. Because what you did to me was evil. So I'm going to go on this side of the pendulum swing. So you misunderstood. Yeah. You misunderstood because you were led astray by the tales and the stories. You didn't have the ability to get to the deeper meaning, but at the deeper meaning is the truth of nature. That's what mm -hmm. it is. That is why all the major religions of this world will always matter. That is why Christianity and all its many forms is such a big deal because foundationally it is the sky clock. Foundationally, it is a year. It is an eon. It is a whatever period of time. And these are truth. These are factual, actual things that give us the only value we can have. Why? Because we need to eat, because we need to have a place to live, because we need water to drink. And guess where all those things come from? From the only place you can find truth. We can't manufacture any new ones. We can't cleverly, synthetically, with no help from nature, make anything. So these are the big things to keep in mind. But anyhow, we're almost to the top of the hour. Dylan, why don't you tell folks, and I want you to be sure to get into the top comment when this goes live. Um, if you need to log in, make sure you tell me and get all the links to everything, where they can find you, your email if you want, and your books. But tell folks now, please. Yeah, just to save time, I'm going to post a link that will take you to a page that has everything you could want from my social medias, YouTube, previous podcasts, all that. And then if you want to look into my work, the book that this information is coming from today is called Spirit World, The Holy Sailors. It will be published on uh, November 3rd. So by the time this goes live, I had to wait for the astrological weather to get right because it's been trash. This whole whole second half of this month has been terrible. So that's when the good the tide's going out on November 3rd. So if you've got good deeds to do, either of you, from 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., look it up. The aspects are perfect. Yeah, we should mention, I don't know what day this is going out, but on the eighth day of the 11th month, there is a full solar or lunar eclipse. And it's also a voting day where hundreds of seats will be shuffled on the chessboard of life. But I forgot to thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you sent me, I think it was your last book, uh, and you mentioned me in your foreword. Thank you for that. Um, Jason, you want to get in on this Bogarted episode? You put me and Dylan in a room, you know what's going to happen. 
<laughs> well, what are we going to do in hour two, Dylan? We're going to keep going at this because I'm not even not even remotely close. Like this, we're, I've literally got about maybe one eighth of what I have laid out. So if we don't finish and the audience response is good, or you guys just want to continue the conversation in the next billing cycle or whatever, we'll do another episode. All right. I'm going to wrap up hour one. Oh, I'll ask you one more question quickly. Uh, did you read the worship of Augustus Caesar? Because of all the people I know, and was it a big deal to you? It was, we talked about this last episode. Like it, like I, I see its value, but again, it's, he's trying to shuffle around piles of shit by chronology chronologically dating a lot of stuff that is not historical, but I do like it as a resource. Like I'll revert to anytime I come across a weird number that I don't understand or whatever, I look into his cycles section to see if he's got any goods on like, is that a duration of a cycle? So I think it's an incredible resource, but the problem is trying to make sense. And it's not his fault. Just trying to make sense of what we've been given as history when it's fraud and you know the characteristic industry of rome has been fraud for so long which he shows that's the one thing i really valued about it was it felt like he had at his fingertips sources we no longer do along with the tales of the day and the oral history that may have been handed forward but anyhow that brings our one of episode 459 with jason lingren and dylan Sicoccio to a close You know it's going to deliver. Get there for hour two if you can. Anyhow, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And the full episode will be at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. Membership gets the two full full hours or two full hours plus, plus access to the full feature film, Shoot the Moon. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. 